This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. I am Helen Farmer. Great to have you with us. It's a very busy show today as we were talking health with Dr. Andrew Foggett. He's an orthopedic surgeon taking care of your feet, your ankles, your lower limbs, injury prevention, and are supplements worth it when it comes to your bone health? We are finding out about speech and language therapy. How does it help children? What are so-called normal milestones and what can get in the way? Does diabetes affect our eyes? We act Dr. Louisa from Moorfield. Woofstock is back in town, a Pawsome festival, and it was a dog behaviour specialist. Mena Lopez in the studio to answer your questions on Pets and Vets. Dubai's 30 by 30 fitness challenge is underway and um, judging by the couple of doctors I was speaking to recently, there has seen a bit of a spike in injuries coming into clinic. Talking injury prevention now and of course helping you out with any aches and pains you might have with those bones. Uh, Dr. Andrew Foggett is with us today from Vigil Hospital. He's a consultant orthopaedic surgeon, a bit of a specialist in foot and ankle issues. So working out, running, stretching, anything like that that might be bothering you. Doctor, you've been here for a couple of years now. Uh, joining us from the UK. Have you noticed any differences, I guess, geographical trends or anything that you've seen more of in Dubai that perhaps not so much in the UK? It's a very different population group. Everyone here is fairly young and fit and active. And we do. I don't see the spread of the arthritic type conditions that I used to see in the UK. So it's lots of sports related injuries, mm-hmm. as you said, lots of ankle sprains, lots of simple foot fractures and some not so simple fr- foot fractures. Um, So it's it's a very different demographic. So I don't tend to see very many folk with arthritic conditions. I've just seen one today, and that must be the first one I've seen for months. Was it like a nice novelty for you? Yeah, it's different. (laughs) Certainly a different outlook, that's for sure. So that's what's keeping you busy then? Lots of of sports things? Lots of sports injuries. Lots of people coming in with uh, um, injuries after paddle or football or badminton. And, of Mm. course, the runners as well. Paddle. She said, with an achy great knee. Great it's game. great, however, not if you've got no cartilage in your knees, as I'm starting no, to no, find I'm out. No, no, I'm a bit the same. I can't. Uh, my knee won't take it either. No. I, I'd like to play, but I can't manage it. I love the idea of it. The reality is a little bit of, um, of inflammation. Great workout. Yeah. If you want to play sport and get fit, it's a fantastic game because it gets you running. What uh, are, well, let's talk running because, you know, it's that season. A lot of people training for the marathon, a lot of people training for marathons internationally as well. And my goodness, the weather could not be more perfect to be hitting the, the beach track or indeed um, just you know some of these lovely communities we have. What are some of the most common injuries you see in runners? Oh, without doubt, a sprained ankle. Um, almost everyone's sprained their ankle at some stage. Um, and it's just a question of the degree of sprain as to how bad this sprain is this time compared to last time. Because some of them are quite severe, but it's ankle sprains. Occasionally you pop up with a fracture. Sometimes people d- uh, develop pain in the bottom of their foot for no very good reason. And sometimes the, the dreaded plantar fasciitis, which is a uh, common cause of heel pain, uh, can bring people who are trying to run and bring them up very short. Very frustrating condition to treat. I just said to you off air that normally when we have a doctor in the studio, I'm like, oh, I get to have a little consultation during the break. And actually, I am foot and ankle problem free, apart from the dreaded planted fasciitis, which oh, really? I had after giving birth. And it was agony. Couldn't In the morning, couldn't put any pressure on my foot as I was getting out of bed. Tears in my eyes. Horrendous. However... 
as I guess the relaxing hormone kind of started to regulate in my body or whatever happened, who knows, it was all a blur. Everything was fine, but I was lucky. Tell us exactly what plantar fasciitis is and ultimately how long people can suffer from, what we can do about it. I can't claim to know anything at all about pregnancy-related conditions. It does very strange things to you, ladies. <laughs> I'm just does. a dim bone setter. Um, <laughs> the plantar fasciitis typically is a, is pain in the heel that comes out of nowhere, and the spectrum of pain can be all the way from a bit of a niggle to, if you'd asked me that last week, I would have said, please take my leg off. Mm-hmm. And it's not uncommon even now for people to come into clinic walking on tiptoes. <gasps> we don't know what causes it. There's a loose association with people who have problems with a thyroid gland, but that doesn't mean that you will have problems with your heel if you have problems with your thyroid gland. The thing is, it's so very, very difficult to treat and it's, it's unpredictable. Um, and all the treatment is a bit, little bit empirical. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can try it. The good news is uh, in the vast, vast majority of people, it gets better despite us rather than because of us. Although sometimes, unfortunately, it can hang around for 18 months to two years if you're unlucky. Gosh, right. We've got questions coming in for you. Yes, the text course. lines are Let's... open. We have joining us this afternoon from Bajil Hospital, Dr. Andrew Foggett. Do, do you like being called doctor or do you prefer mister as a consultant I'm, surgeon? I'm easy either way. Okay, perfect. Just want to make sure I'm getting oh, it right. Dubai, in Dubai, it's doctor. In the UK, it's mister. I'm in Dubai, so let's stick to doctor, shall we? Thanks, Doc. Right. We are going to be going to the text line next. Mike is 77 years old and saying after walking any distance, he's getting sore ankles um, into the arches as well. Message saying, saying for kids who are serious swimmers or sports orientated, should you be going for physiotherapy as a preventative measure we've got messages about ankle braces to prevent sprains and more this content is for informational purposes only if you would like to seek medical treatment please contact a certified healthcare provider for personalized advice and diagnosis bones this afternoon, specifically those kind of below the knee, but we can help with anything with Dr. Andrew Foggett. He is a consultant orthopaedic surgeon. He's there from Bajil Hospital. We've stolen away from a very busy clinic because injuries coming in right now. A lot of us enjoying the beautiful great outdoors and finding ourselves maybe hobbling a bit after enjoying them a bit too much. So let's talk preventive measures. Didn't say that very well. Um, Are there any things that we can do? And let's talk about running in particular. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people out on the tracks. Preventing those injuries, what do you recommend? Anything from the right shoe to warming up, what would you love everybody to be doing? I think the first thing is it depends on whether you're a runner or not. So if you decided you'd be um, spurred on to take on the Dubai run and you've never done it before, I think you have to take a sensible approach to it and talk to people who've done it before and ask them how they go about building up to it. So to go from nothing to full on is clearly going to cause you problems often. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the youngsters clearly can get away with it, but I, I wouldn't get it anywhere near the end of the road before <laughs> I fell over. <laughs> I can't um, run the, 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 thing, the thing to do is, is be sensible about it. Build up gradually. Um, I think the running track up Jamira Beach, where you've got the, the, the impact, the, the green impact material, is a fantastic surface to run and so much kinder than running on hard mm-hmm. bricks and hard paving slabs. Um, as we get older, now I'm not sure when older starts now, but um, as we get older, it's very, very important to warm up beforehand. So I think the stretching, which I think you mentioned earlier on, is so very, very important. Uh, and for those of us who are even older still, it's very, very important to stretch when you warm down. And I think that's often forgotten. So suddenly going from rushing for the line at the end of your run and then stopping and doing nothing is sometimes as bad as uh, as, as not stretching before the start of it. Okay. So stretching is very, very important. Uh, and I think picking your shoes are very important. So there are lots of brands out there. You have to find the ones that work for you. 
and you go, go on to Dr. Google. The, the, the world's full of, all, of choices for these things. I think you've got to find a pair that suits you rather than going for a specific brand. I think a lot of them are getting better and better at doing, you know, gait analysis, you know, putting you on a treadmill in the store, talking about, you know, are you pronating, you know, a- analysing on a screen. And I'm here for it. I'm here for the technology. Yeah, that's great. The problem is you start looking for things, you find things. <laughs> and, and then, you're un- un- you know, it's, it's a can of worms. Then. And then how much is normal? And where do you draw the line between what is normal and what's normal? And how much should you worry about your degree of pronation? And how much should you worry about your heel strike? And it, it, it can get very bewildering. So I think you've got to find someone, if you're going to go down that route, find someone you're happy with and you're happy to be guided by, mm-hmm. um, because otherwise you can be completely bamboozled, because I, even I struggle to understand some of the stuff with the, with the pressure mat analysis. It's, it's incredibly complicated. But do you know what? No offence to any runners out there. The running nerdery is it's almost, almost as nerdy as cycling. I, I wish it got in at the start. I'd be a very rich man by now. <laughs> If you've got any questions for Dr. Andrew, you're more than welcome to reach out. Um, Mike's saying, I'm 77 years old and after walking any distance, I get sore ankles around into the arches as well. Any advice, please? Um, sore ankles is a, is a fairly broad term. So there are a number of joints around the ankle that can cause a problem. Um, simple things like taking an anti-inflammatory tablet if they're painful I'm a great fan with, with things like painkillers. Rather than having to take them all the time, you can cox and box with them. So you can either find a small dose of something and perhaps take it be- bed, uh, bedtime and breakfast time and then leave yourself some spare to top up with. Or you can wait and react to the pain. Or you, if you know you're going out for a run or even for a walk and it's going to be painful, sometimes taking them beforehand to anticipate the pain mm-hmm. is actually worthwhile. In terms of his feet uh, and so on, it's very hard to give him a straight answer, I'm afraid. Um, really, the best thing to do is come along and see someone like me uh, to get the advice and have your feet assessed. Tell you what, Mike, I will send you Dr. Andrew's details so you can pop in for a chat. Can we talk kids? Uh, we've had a message saying for kids that are serious swimmers or sports orientated, um, should they be coming for checkups or physiotherapy every now and then? I don't think so. Uh, unless a ch- your child has a particular problem, then they can be allowed to get on and do what they want to do. Um, children as they grow, they go through various stages as we all know where they grow steadily and suddenly they shoot up and have growth spurts and those growth spurts are not uncommonly associated with aches and pains which ultimately we normally group under the umbrella diagnosis of growing pains they don't need to do anything prophylactically they can get away with stuff that I couldn't have done for years now Um, they can just get up and run and, and it doesn't seem to touch them so they're fine I don't think there's anything to do prophylactically. And, and someone uh, earlier on asked about uh, using braces uh, as a preventative measure. I'd much, much rather that people's ankles or whichever bit of the body you're talking about did what they're designed to do and you keep them up to speed and toned up because as soon as you start becoming reliant on a brace for the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden your joints stop doing what they're supposed to do and it's a much, much steeper hill to get back up to the top again. I had a message about flat feet. Amira mm. saying, um, my eight-year-old son has flat feet. When is it a cause for concern? There are a lot of people with flat feet and for me, a flat foot is not a diagnosis. It's just a description like you've got short hair and I've got very little hair. It's, it's part of a spectrum of normal. So if your child has a flat foot and they can run around and jump around and do everything they want and have no pain at all then they don't need to worry about it whatsoever. I don't treat flat feet, I treat pain. So if there's a reason, if the foot has suddenly changed shape suddenly or something has happened, then yes, of course, we must look into it. But I would much rather children run around regardless of the shape of their feet. Mm -hmm. If, If you want a sort of good, easy home check, if you ask your son or daughter to stand on tiptoes, if they stand and they've got a flat foot, 
yet when they stand up, they have a nice arch, um, then that's all you need to know. That more or less, it's a, that simple manoeuvre almost excludes all of children's significant pathology. So if you're at all worried, next time you're there at home, get them to take their shoes and socks off and stand and look at them from behind while they stand on tiptoes. If their arches come back and they have no pain, crack on, not a problem. Can I ask you about footwear for kids? And I yes. know um, I know you're a, you're a dad as well, though your kids are, you know, a bit more grown a, a up. Bit, a bit bigger now, or bigger <laughs> than me. Um, are there any shoes that you would never recommend putting kids in? Or are we barefoot all the way? For every parent listening today, what's optimum for great foot health? I think it's very sensible as your children grow to have your children's feet measured properly um, for the school shoes and the school, uh, shoes they wear regularly. The problem, of course, are the weekends. They're not going to wear those shoes. And, and then it's just a question of something that's comfortable, doesn't rub, and doesn't make the skin sore, and that they can run around in without any discomfort. Um, but again, you don't need to go and spend vast quantities of money on, on a particularly high-value uh, brand. Thank it's you. what's fitted properly for your child. Because they grow so fast, for one thing. We're sending shoes oh, back yeah. to my kids' cousins Absolutely. in the UK constantly. Absolutely. Um, in fact, even for school shoes this year, we, I was like, I'm sorry, we're going to buy some some kind of foamy sketches that are black and that is what they're going to have because they'll be out of them by February. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. guaranteed. And that, that also feeds back into the flat foot story because if you your child has been told they have flat feet and they need insoles, their insoles need changing almost more often than the shoes. The kind of orthotics. Um, the orthotics, yeah. Uh, and so that's um, uh, another huge financial burden on top of everything else you've got to pay for. Mm, it is indeed. Um, joining us in studio, and we've stolen away from his busy clinic at Bajil Hospital, is Dr. Andrew Foggart. We're going to be talking about how the feet change as we get older and, of course, going to your questions um, on the text line. This content is for informational purposes only and does not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Dr. Andrew Foggett is with us today, consultant orthopaedic surgeon. He specialises in foot and ankle surgery at Bajil Hospital and we've taken him away from a busy clinic until four o'clock to answer your questions. Um, we are going to come to the text line in just a minute, but I wanted to ask, we're still not sure what we're counting as being older, doctor, but let's oh, say... No idea. It moves away from me every year. Me too. Funny enough. I know. I thought I was... I'm just a spring chicken at 41 now, so I think we're going to say much <laughs> you're the older. Lucky, you're the lucky one, 41, <laughs> I wish. But what does happen to our bones as we age? And what would you love everybody listening today to do to try to adjust to maintain good bone health as we get older? It's very clear to me that if you don't lose it, or don't use it, you lose it. You really, really must keep active. And those folk and the generation of perhaps my um parents' generation and the parents' generation beyond that, they were of the three score years and ten, and then they all metaphorically sat down and, and sort of gave up. Mm-hmm. And they were also of a generation where they didn't do a lot of sport and activities, whereas we're all now doing lots of stuff, and we're all behaving at least, I think, ten years younger than our chronological age. So the people you think were 60, they're behaving as if they're a 50-year-old and so on. So I think the most important thing is to get out there and do stuff, don't sit at home with your feet up doing nothing and just think of yourself as an old person. Get on and do it. Because the more you stand and the more you do, the more you mineralise your bones. And the osteoporosis we hear about in older folk uh, is kept at bay much better that way. Sometimes, of course, you need some medicine. But by far, the best thing to do is get out and get active and stay on your feet. So a lot of it's about mindset, mindset and identity, Absolutely. not, not yeah, kind yeah. of giving yeah. in and giving up, so Absolutely to speak. Absolutely right. So my nana was born in the early 30s. And I remember 
my goodness, um, her feet, her feet were a mess. And this was because she, my, um, that side of the family's from Belfast, and she was a shop girl in the, oh, nice. in the co-op in Belfast. As she was wearing the highest high heels <laughs> in the 1950s, the stilettos, you know, standing behind the counter for hours and hours, and her toes were all crossed over each other, yep. and the bunions were unbelievable. Um, so when I think about footwear, I remember, because Doc Martens were a really big thing when I was a teenager. I remember. I, I remember Yellow my laces. Yeah, yes, I had I had a few pairs actually. I had some kind of green to paint ones them to keep them clean. <laughs> I saved all my money for my for my DMs, and I remember my nana and my grandpa saying, "Well, you're not going to get any problems like we had because your feet are going to be, you know, nicely, nicely spread out as they as they grow, not cramped." Yeah. So should we be ditching the high heels, Doctor Andrew? Well, I don't wear them very often, but I know a lot of you <laughs> ladies like to. Um, not me. Not- I, I don't think. Ah, you know, you're only here once for heaven's sake. I'd much rather you got on and enjoyed yourself. Um, there's a natural sequence to life in that it does get to a stage where you finally decide that the killer stilettos are too much for you and you, you drop your heel size and you're a bit less concerned about um, very, very dressy shoes. That's, that's just the cycle of life and I'll there's t- nothing wrong I'll with that. I'll tell you what the cycle of, <laughs> cycle of life is. You, I, when you get married, the heel, the heel drops a little bit. I was like, yep. yeah, I don't need to wear those anymore. Pandemic hit, high heel sales went absolutely down the toilet. Oh, I bet they did. Yeah, and um, it's just getting older, isn't it? I can't wear, can't wear, can't there's wear them no, there's anymore. There's no reason if you're going out to a wedding or a dressy do. There's no reason why you shouldn't put a pair of killer heels on. I tell I you mean, when it is. When I'm getting a taxi to a restaurant, that's when I'll, that's when I'll go high. And I know I'm going to be not going to be walking around town. I, I bet you, if you were to crawl under the table at any big um, swishy event. I reckon 70 to 80% of the ladies' shoes will be kicked off under the table as soon as they sat down. And it's the best feeling ever. Um, last question to you. Um, Noel saying, I'm new to running while jogging. Good for uh, you. Good for you, Noel. Do you have any tips for bone supplements to help keep bones strong? Uh, he says, now, in my, now I'm in my late 30s. Oh, poor old croc. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, spring um, chicken, no, Noel. No, I think... No, not really. I, I'm not the best person to talk about this because um, sports health has moved on enormously since I started. And I have to accept there's a degree of bloodite in me. But I think as long as you don't have any dietary deficiencies um, uh, and um, you eat a, a relatively balanced diet, not too many burgers and chips, then I think the vast majority of us don't need any supplements. But there's no doubt, for example, that the, the body of people who do end up a little bit short are the strict vegans. They miss out on some of the dairy products. They definitely need supplements. But most of us, as long as you have a half-decent, balanced diet, don't need to spend a lot of money on supplements. But I'm quite prepared to be shot down by a a sports nutritionist later. Well, I'm here for it, Dr Andrew Foggett, saving us hundreds on iHub. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. It's been really lovely to catch up properly. And thank you to everyone who's been in touch. Thank you so much again. Really, really appreciate it. This content is for informational purposes only and is not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Joining us in studio from Hope Habilitation Centre, Maria Katow is with us today. She is a speech and language therapist. I should say, crucially, a mum as well, which I think is really important when we think about relating to children and understanding some of the concerns that so many parents have when it comes to meeting those sometimes imaginary, sometimes real milestones that we can get really concerned about. Um, Mary, can you tell us a little bit about, and it sounds really basic because I know this is what you do every day, what speech and language therapy is exactly? 
Well, hello, and I think hello. that's a fantastic place to start because actually there's a massive um, misconception that it's only about speech sounds. Um, but really, um, anybody that's had any dealings with speech and language therapy before knows it's really broad and there's mm. quite a lot under our remit. So um, we actually deal with a holistic view of children's development and that looks at their attention and listening skills, their play and their social motivation, uh, their understanding, their talking and their speech sounds. So we so look loud. at all of that. Yeah. <laughs> you what's keeping you busy there you've been in the UAE for a couple of years yeah. um, came from the UK are you noticed anything in, Dubai, anything in Dubai that wasn't the case in the UK or have we noticed any kind of post-pandemic patterns in the speech and language world well, there's um, a very clear um, uh, rise in difficulty with speech and language after COVID because children just haven't had the opportunity that they would have had done before to be at nurseries, to be out there in the world and to uh, have life experiences. Mm-hmm. They've got very limited life experiences in the COVID pandemic. So really, um, this is a very, very, very key point for us because not only does the research show it, but it also um, really, really puts weight behind the the idea that we need to be giving our children more opportunities and more life experiences to learn from because that's how they're discovering the world. So So can you explain a little bit about how our speech, our language, our communication develops from an early age? What's happening in those little brains when it comes to relationships and interacting that informs their development? And again, an excellent question. Um, First of all, we need to differentiate speech, language and communication. So speech are the speech sounds. They're how we're making our sounds, what we're doing with our lips, our tongue, uh, the signal that's coming from our brain, how we're hearing back what we're saying, uh, how we're using our lungs, how much pressure we're giving. Uh, Language is um, what we're saying. So it's the words that we're using, how we're ordering them, how we're putting them together in sentences to get our meaning across. Um, And the communication is the why of it all. So really we want to... um, we have a meaning we have a reason behind our communication and we want to make sure that that's kind of um relayed positively and in the best way so we Mm. use gesture as well and we use facial expression and we use um building bonds together as a way to support our, our sending messages so that's the first most important thing um i would say that uh children develop chronologically uh, not everything's linear but um, you have to look at all of those areas that I was talking about before mm-hmm. so within each of the areas of attention and listening uh, play and social motivation uh, understanding talking and speech sounds there are, there are kind of little milestones within each of those so broadly the best way to remember it is that um, if your child is um, uh, one years old they should at least be using single words in context appropriately and they should be using around 16 gestures so the uh, there's a really lovely website you can just put 16 gestures by 16 months into google and can you give us some examples as well. yeah high fives waving uh, thumbs up clapping uh, pointing these are all lovely examples of using gestures so that's at a year yeah. And then when do you start to look at the kind of the next stages, Mary? Um, so you're also looking for them to understand one keyword as well. Mm. So if you said shoes and you want them to be able to look at them or bring them back to you. Um, and uh, they're very much focused on their own play at that point. So that's very normal to to, to, to see. Um, at two years old, again, it's just in line with their age as a very bottom baseline. They need to be using two words. So they need to be starting to combine words and verbs, everyday verbs should be presenting as well. Children should be able to follow their daily routines and uh, they should be understanding two key words as well, like get your coat and shoes now and be able to retrieve those and bring them back to you very proudly. So um, that's really the markers that we're looking for that in those first two years, 
now it's time to come and see a speech and language therapist. Um, we don't have the benefit of health visitors here, that's so right. it's parents, you know, um, intuition. But, yeah, I think mm. that's that's going to be really hard mm. because, especially as first time parents, yeah. you compare to you know to friends. You might have muddled memories about what you were doing at a certain age. You know, siblings. There's that parent intuition, but as you say, it's also this idea of being proactive. And I think an awful lot of parents can be a bit frightened to you know decide to go and see a specialist because what what can that mean what if we get a, you know a diagnosis or a, or a label right. is that something you've come up against oh gosh every day and you know we have to also remind our our doctors and our pediatricians that they've got a massive um burden here because parents take what they say really really seriously and mm. they either come to us with assurance that nothing else is going on and that's what the doctor said or they are coming with with, uh, with fears that the doctor said it might be this or that or the other. Oh yeah, which can be very upsetting it when it when it can be a, you know when you get someone but well intentioned of course saying yeah. oh it could be X Y Z. Yeah. So can I ask then whether it's a one year old or two year old and, and up? Um, what are some of the things that can perhaps hamper the development that you would be looking for as a speech and language therapist? So really, the first thing that all the research points towards is that there needs to be a, a really rich communication environment at home. So that's why parents shouldn't be scared to come to therapy because really we're here we 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 you can view us as health promotion as well we're not just here to fix something that's gone wrong we're here to empower the parent to be able to feel like that they're doing something at home and most of the time that's what the parents want they mm. really want to know that they're doing um what they can for the child yeah and be empowered with you know tools and techniques and think about being yeah. you know on a team because we don't know you know you've got years of training and experience right. and anything we can be doing to kind of bolster that child's development I've just we've got a message here and no name on it Mary saying mm-hmm. uh, my son has a lisp okay. he's 12 years old should I see a specialist or could it get better as he grows up well, you're talking to the queen of lisps here. Um, Helen can tell you that I still have a lisp because I sucked my thumb. That was Me my too. conversation with you. Until my 30s. <laughs> oh, until I was 16. So I thought I was the worst in the world. Thank you, no, Helen. It's, it's me. Um, <laughs> um, so because of that, um, I have just wrong placement. But I didn't have anybody to help me. It wasn't even thought of. Um, and you know, in old school photos, people used to get you to say sausages. Yes. So all my whole school photos have my tongue sticking out. So oh, to Mary. this parent, I know, to this parent um, definitely you can do something and uh, I'm I'm treating lisps every day and they are quite crucial to treat because um, I've got my own personal experience but I also see the children I see they would um, avoid talking sometimes and you can see them kind of um, you know retracting and choosing not to talk and Mm -hmm. that's why that's when you know that it's also important to come and see a therapist. I think that's a really really good distinction to make is like when is when is it something that's you know just part and parcel on who you are Mm -hmm. and when is it ultimately hampering a child in their ability to you know move around the world to be confident to stand up um so things can be done is really what i'm trying to get to the bottom of yeah definitely and um i think that parents are you know sometimes a bit scared um to to think oh you know they're they're just going to grow out of it i don't want my child to be labeled but that's not what we're here to do and if you're finding that then you're not with the right person well Um, said we are here to to support the child and to support you to support your child so there's lots you can be doing at home to practice as well it's not a closed door you know secrecy you know myth mythical legendary process we have an open door policy and parents are welcome to use our strategies as well i don't know how young you go mary there at hope but it's a a message from a concerned parent who's mm-hmm. got a 13 week old so born two weeks early but isn't making any sounds other than crying google dr google uh, seems to think she should be saying ooh and ah from eight weeks should i be worried and how can i encourage her 
Um, I think that maybe possibly she needs a little bit more time. So really, we're going back to that communication environment and the positive, you know, make sure that there's a back and forth rapport and you're doing things like using an interesting voice and lovely a kind of a facial expression that makes that child want to uh, interact back mm-hmm. and forth with you. So um, really, it's just exposure. It's lots of exposure to um, uh, making sounds or, or saying well while you're shaking the, the shaker um, so that she can see you doing it and see how much fun you're having with it and uh, it's that enjoyment that will inspire her to want to give more of a back and forth so that's a very valid question absolutely um, and uh, but, but mum should not be concerned because sometimes those sounds don't quite come out the way you would expect them to sometimes mm-hmm. they're not as clear as ooh and my baby had a completely different one um, and um, basically any sounds that she does make though do um, do repeat you know kind of copy them do imitate them it's funny isn't it I felt so silly and self-conscious when I first had my kids and people you should talk to your babies all the time I'd be like I feel like such a wally walking around the supermarket just like here are the apples you know and being, as you're saying kind of super interacting back yeah. and forth but yeah once you get past that self-consciousness um, Mary we've had lots of questions um, with your permission is it okay to share your link on the Hope website so people can Absolutely. contact you I'd be very happy to answer I would them. love to have you back as well to delve into a couple of these subjects that we've um, that we've kind of touched on today we, you know we're talking off air about bi and trilingual about some of the common issues as well so if that's okay Will you come back for a bigger chat? Um, I'd love to because I feel like we've only just got started. I couldn't <laughs> agree more. Um, if we couldn't get to your question today or you want to find out more, um, you can find Mary at Hope AMC. She's a speech and language therapist. Really appreciate your time. Thank, Thank you, you, Helen. Your Eye Health on Eye. With Moorfields Eye Hospital Dubai. I care for you and your children. Moorfields, driven by your vision. It is your eye care clinic. Dr. Louisa Sastry is a consultant ophthalmologist in medical retina and cataract surgery. Dr. Louisa, how are you today? Hello, very fine, thank you. Good. Um, I was thinking of you yesterday, knowing we were going to be chatting today, because it was World Diabetes Day. And we were talking about just how impactful diabetes can be on the whole body, from you know circulation and you know tragic amputation to eyes as well. So I wanted to ask you about this. Why? Does diabetes affect the eyes and what can that, pardon the pun, look like? So uh, uncontrolled diabetes can lead to a severe and permanent loss of vision, mostly due to damage to the retina. There is actually swelling and bleeding of the retina and this can be a real problem. Um, Diabetics tend to develop all other problems such as uh, they tend to get cataracts earlier and need cataract surgery earlier than, than non-diabetics. They also tend to are more prone to suffering from glaucoma, which is a damage to the optic nerve that can cause irreversible vision loss. They tend to develop occlusions of the retinal vessels that will cause impairment of the blood supply and can cause uh, vision loss. They can also develop a paralysis of the nerves involving the movement of your eyes. Gosh. There's a whole, uh, yeah, a whole number of uh, conditions that that you can develop in the eye due to uncontrolled diabetes. So, what do you recommend then, as a consultant ophthalmologist, when it comes to obviously managing your diabetes and working with your endocrinologist, your doctor? But when it comes to yeah. working with a specialist in eyes, is it a case of? early or annual checks and what what can you do in clinic to help those with diabetes in this area? Well, definitely uh, the number one recommendation is always going to be maintaining near to normal glucose level and near to normal blood pressure and, 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 and lipids. 
uh, that will reduce the, the, the risk of developing uh, problems in, in, in your eye. Once the problems are there, once uh, a patient has uh, developed diabetic uh, retinopathy or maculopathy, then uh, there is a need to uh, to do follow-ups, not only once you, you, you've developed a condition, but, but before, because actually uh, you can you can have uh, problems in your retina without uh, really knowing that that you that you're having them because mm-hmm. in the early stages of diabetic retinopathy and maculopathy it might not be that that obvious that your vision is slowly deteriorating okay. so having for regular examinations even if you don't have any visual symptoms. And even if your glucose levels are currently normal, it is a must for, for diabetics. Once the problems are there in your retina and there is, a, for example, you've developed a swelling of the central retina, the very sensitive area that we call the macula, which is actually the, the part in your retina that we use to get the, you know, the crisp, sharp vision. So once there is a swelling there, um, there are treatments we can do. Uh, many diabetics have heard of um, there is injections of getting injections in, in your eye, which can sound uh, horrendous, scary, <laughs> scary uh, procedure. But actually, it's, it's not. I uh, I always am very keen on explaining to to patients that require injections that this is a painless procedure that we do with a needle that is as thin as a hair. We inject like a, like a droplets of medication inside the eye because it's actually only uh, if we inject it inside the eye that mm-hmm. it will reach the, 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 the affected area and, and give the, the, the benefit, will, will reduce the, the swelling and then the, the vision will uh, be improved. So uh, this is one of the, of the treatments that we do for, for diabetics when they develop macular edema. When they have problems in the in the peripheral retina, we we, we do laser, um, something called panretinal photocoagulation, which is a, a very effective uh, treatment that we've been doing for for. So, Dr. Louisa, can I ask time. then if we're, if we're looking at um, diabetes retinopathy, for example, is it mm-hmm. is it reversible, or are you just managing symptoms and slowing down progression? So, in the early stages, it can be reversible. Uh, when it's advanced, uh, we can we can improve it, but uh, it might not fully regress. Mm. Which is why working working with the full team and, and keeping an eye on things, so to speak, is absolutely crucial. We've had a question for you, Dr. Louisa. We're going to come to this next from Samila, saying, um, I've got frequent burst blood vessels in my eye, the white of the eye. Any idea what the cause could be? Two or three times a year. I haven't got diabetes or high blood pressure, not any meds, no blood clotting, cholesterol issues. So wondering what the cause might be. Samila, we're going to come to that. And talking eye health in general next, are there any lifestyle, you know, dietary recommendations that Dr. Louisa Sathra, speaking to us from Moorfields, has? You know, when we're, we, want to, we want to stay out of surgery. We want to stay out of clinic as much as possible. So what can we all be doing proactively for good eye health? finding out next. This content is for informational purposes only and does not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Your eye health on eye. With Moorfields Eye Hospital Dubai. World leading experts in eye care. Moorfields. Driven by your vision. 
Joining us from Moorfields, we've got consultant ophthalmologist in medical retina and cataract surgery, Dr. Luisa Sastre. Um, and we've had a message for you, Dr. Luisa. This is from um, Samila saying, please help. Um, I get frequent burst blood vessels in the white of my eye. Any, any idea about what the cause could be? It happens two or three times a year. I don't have high blood pressure or diabetes, not on any meds, no blood clotting or cholesterol issues. So I'm wondering what the cause might be because I'm feeling rather anxious about it all. I know it's very hard on the text line with just that information, but does anything come to mind and what advice would you give to Smitha about further investigation? Uh, well, and the first thing I want to uh, say is that uh, fortunately this, this problem, which is called subconjunctival hemorrhages, is not uh, it's a benign condition. So it's not a, a, it's not a major problem, definitely not related to uh, diabetes. Um, so under the conjunctiva, which is the, the superficial layer on the white of the eye, so there are many vessels there, little capillaries. These capillaries can just pop, especially when we uh, increase the pressure in the upper body. For example, when we bend down to, to tie laces, when we're uh, lifting heavy weights in the gym, exercising, running, lifting heavy weights. So these little vessels can pop. Mm-hmm. And... Um, for some reason, once the vessel has popped, uh, if you keep, you know, going to the gym and, and lifting, uh, working out with the same weights, it can easily pop again because uh, sometimes the vessel has not fully repaired, uh, and then you you you're putting it under under pressure again. Okay. So um, most of the times, we just recommend to use lubricant rubs. Of course, if you rub your eyes. Uh, we can have uh, popped vessels. If uh, it's something that is uh, happening very, very frequently, of course, the person should visit the GP because there can be under, underlying conditions such as hypertension. So hypertension ha- can can suddenly show mm-hmm. uh, because of repeated and be, be diagnosed because of repeated uh, subconjunctival hemorrhages. Uh, then occasionally, uh, so doing a bit of blood blood tests to rule out that your coagulation is fine, that the liver is working properly, uh, can 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 be can be helpful. But uh, you know, most of the times, uh, patients just um, develop these these this problem. For example, after strenuous workouts in the gym. I've seen friends okay. that happen after giving birth, for example, but definitely yeah. worth worth going to get checked in. Um, Dr. Lewis, we only have one minute left and I wanted to ask you just very quickly for everyone listening today, are there any lifestyle bits of advice, any diet, supplementation, any changes that we can be making to ensure good eye health in general? What, what would you give to anyone who might be having good eye health but perhaps wants to maintain it or make it even better? Yeah, so uh, general recommendations are to have a healthy lifestyle, uh, wearing sunglasses when outdoors always, having a healthy varied diet rich on colorful, you know, vegetables, poorly uh, cooked um, meat and, and fish, so cold um, uh, fish from from cold uh, uh, waters from the rivers like salmon, herring, mm-hmm. plenty of nuts that are rich in omega three. So such a I mean a, a healthy and, and, and varied diet is 
uh, as as good as any supplement, if not better than 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 we than we can take. Okay. And then uh, going for a regular uh, checks, you know, we sometimes. Uh, you know, face CC patients that, that tell you I haven't gone for. I have never been on an eye doctor, and they are maybe in their fifties. Never had a, an eye test before, and so going for regular checks is another uh, very important thing. Thank you, Dr. Louisa. Really, really value your time. And you've got a whole host of experts there at Moorfields. If anyone wants the details, just send me the word I. I will happily send you the link. Dr. Louisa speaking to us. Um, Thank you so, so much, consultant ophthalmologist. This content is for informational purposes only and does not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. You're listening to Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan where the number one ingredient is always high-quality salmon, lamb, turkey and chicken. We are having a dog behaviour special this hour. Mana Lopez joining us very soon indeed from its ginger's way. But before that, we are talking socialising. Dogs who've got a better social life than us because Woofstock is happening this weekend. Yvonne from Doggy Adventures with us in the studio to tell us more. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me. It's really weird to see you guys without your dogs. I know. <laughs> whenever you've come to the tennis or I've seen you at Reading Dogs or you've come to us at, you know, the pet shop, you, I feel like you're missing your shadows. But I know. Thank it's you so weird to not have my dog with me because obviously that's what I do. I take my dog with me wherever I go. So, yeah, it's a bit odd. But next time we'll, we'll change it. I'm going <laughs> to give you the email for my boss so we can make the... Yes. Dubai, uh, Dubai Eye offices a dog-friendly yeah, spot. Yeah, that would be great. Um, but your, your Instagram is an absolute must-visit for where, exactly as you're saying, where to go, where is, you know, from cafes and shops and neighbourhoods, places to go, things to do um, with your with your beloved pooch, um, Doc Adventures, give them a follow. So what's happening this weekend? Tell us about Wolfstock. Where's it going to be? Yeah, Wolfstock is finally coming to Dubai and it's going to be at Dubai Islands Beach from Nakhil. So it's the the dog-friendly beach in Dubai where the dogs can play and swim and, you know, have a good time. And Wolfstock is coming there, so it's going to be amazing. So a beach party for dogs. It is, yeah. If anyone hasn't been to that beach, it's really, really beautiful. It's really calm. It's got great facilities from sun lounges to the toilets yeah. it's um it's a i couldn't think of actually a, a more perfect place especially at this time of year so What's what, what's going to be happening there? What have you what you've been planning? A lot. We have so many amazing activities happening at Wolfstock. We have our water sport activities there, so you can do <laughs> stand up pedal with your dog. You can do kayaking with your dog. We have puppy pilates and dog yoga. We have arts classes that you can do with your dog. Uh, there's training sessions. There's workshops about uh, nutrition for your dog. Um, oh my gosh! Pet first aid. A lot. A lot. And yeah. This is going to be Saturday. Is that right? Saturday and Sunday at Dubai. Island Speech Bang. from 8am till 10pm we have live music there will be FMB. Uh, there's going to be an adoption area as well if you don't have a dog yet then yes. you can adopt one <laughs> yes um, what kind of requirements do people need to know about about bringing their dogs down Von? So basically the event is non-ticketed, but we do have an assessment at the door. Um, What we need is you to bring your vaccination passport of your dog with you. And what we're going to do at the door is we're going to do a quick social behavior assessment in just to see how social your dog is in outdoor spaces. So any dog is welcome, even if they're a little bit reactive, even if they're a little bit shy. All of the dogs are welcome, no matter, you know, how social, how big, how small. Um, 
the assessments at the door will be 50 dirhams, but 50% of the proceeds of the assessments go directly to the rescue organizations that are part of Wolfstock as well. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Kids friendly as well? Of course, we have a kids zone as well. So there's going to be a bouncy slide. There's going to be face painting. <laughs> You're taking care of my whole family this weekend. Right? So 8am until 10pm, Saturday and Sunday. Yes, both at that, that, that dog beach. Now, if, yeah. if directions for getting there... Um, it couldn't be more simple. I think we might even just put dog beach into Google Maps exactly. last time yeah, I went. You have, you have Dubai Islands Beach and there's the, the dog-friendly section on the on the beach on Google Maps. So it's easy to find. Parking is free, so you don't have to worry about that. So, yeah, we even have a pet taxi partner as well if you don't, <laughs> if you don't drive, so we can assist you with that as well. Where can people find out more? Uh, we have a website, wolfstock.ae. Uh, or you can find us on Instagram, also Woofstock UAE. We've had a, a message from uh, from Jim. I have to say, Bailey is one of the most beautiful pups that we get pictures of. Uh-huh. Uh, saying Bailey's excited to be at the beach on Sunday. Oh, amazing. So, yeah. Oh, we're looking forward to see you guys there. Bailey at the beach. Um, Yvonne, thank you so much. If you want details, send me the word woof. I will send you the website. You can find out more. And uh, we'll see you there this weekend. Thank you so much. You I'm there. sure you've got many Excel spreadsheets to be getting back to for all of the organisation. <laughs> you know me well. There you go. All right. Yvonne, thank you so, so much. Thank Have you. a brilliant, brilliant time. And if you want details of this weekend's event, it is, I'm going to say it again, it's going to be awesome. Two days, uh, bring your dogs, assessments on the door, proceed of that assessment fee going to the shelters here in the UAE. Up next, we're having a dog behaviour special. Mena Lopez in at the studio. We've already had questions about barking, pulling, chewing and pooing. That's next. This is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan, groundbreaking science, life-changing nutrition. It's a dog behaviour special. We've got Mena Lopez, founder of It's Ginger's Way, in the studio to answer your questions. And we've already had, I've kept some from last week, as I promised, and already coming in on 4001. Um, I know you're very busy, so thank you so much. Uh, what's keeping you busy, Mena? Uh, lots of new owners with new puppies to help them just navigate to this amazing world that it's having a puppy, all the socialisation, puppy training, potty, everything. And um the good old rescues of Dubai that need our help to be understood instead of being oh. pushed into situations they don't need to. Oh, that must, I mean, I went to a shelter at the weekend and I could just see some of those, they're just so, so, so desperate to have a home. And one of the lady pointed out one who's just boomeranged back and forth between fosters and adoptions and then back to the shelter and exactly as you say just really misunderstood and traumatized mm. to be to be truthful um so amazing work that you do Thank would you, you mind kind of telling us in a, in a kind of a nutshell your philosophy on dog behavior and, and some of the techniques that you use because there's lots of different schools of thought and a lot of it is finding someone that really matches your values yeah so uh dog training it's a science and the one now that it's based on science and that that's been more supported uh, with science is force free and choice based training so we we give choices to our dogs and we empower our dogs to make choices to build confidence and dogs that are confident uh they will be less sparky they will be less um anxious and less stressed so it's uh without forcing the dog to do anything that they don't want to do i don't like to be forced to do things i don't like so can you give us an example of what that can look like in practice um for example if your dog is terrified of guests you don't force him to interact with the guests for example or um if your dog is okay being out and about but he's not okay being uh in interacting with other people just don't force them to interact with other people that's one of the reasons why 
what Yvonne was saying with Ufstock and the assessments, there's going to be attack for everyone. So they can be okay being next to you, but they will not be okay being touched by other people. Well, it's like people, isn't it? We all have different comfort levels when it comes to interactions. So we've got lots of questions for you, man. Okay. We're going to try and get through as many as we can between now and five o'clock. This is a short question that's just come in. I don't know if it's going to be a big answer. How do you become your puppy's favourite human? <laughs> right? I often think about if I could ask our dogs, if, you know, if they could if they could speak. I want to know who's their favourite. Is it me or is it my husband? Um, so I guess I guess that question is really asking about building trust, building a relationship. So what would you say to Stella and uh, her dog? I would say go enjoy Dubai and make a, make memories with your puppy that your puppy also likes. So not just the things that we like, also the things that your puppy might think they like. If you have a dog that loves going to the water, go to the beach every weekend with your dog. Ginger, for example, my dog, she loves to be in the desert. She loves to barbecue. She loves <laughs> to go hiking. That's my whole weekend. So during the season, I barely go to the beach because she absolutely hates water. So have fun, create memories memories but that your dog will enjoy them not just you you are both are really committed to making memories in the city and out of it and I know you've got something we'll be announcing soon when it comes to more adventures in the UAE but for us we went to the desert with the dogs at the weekend and they were tearing up and down the dunes and I still get a little bit freaked about are they going to run and not stop running any advice for anyone who would love to you know go to the desert go hiking but might be feeling a bit nervous about it uh, Always keep that nervous because that can save lives, <laughs> first of all. Uh, you never train a dog to be 100% amazing. Like us, we always have good days, even if you're really good at your job. Um, for example, if your dog is a hunting dog, always keep that in mind that they can be the best dog in the world. But if they're on a hunt, there's not much you're going to be able to do. So if you want to start with the desert, you can go. Um, there's a few places that have fenced desert areas, so you can try to go there. Uh, and also start with long leashes and build the trust on recall. Mm -hmm. uh, have a special little thing that only happens in the desert to give to your dog. Ginger, for example, is cheese. It's the only time in, in her life that she gets cheese. It's, it's in the desert and she actually comes to me. Uh, and just start build confidence. You have now leashes that are 10, 30, 40, 50 meters. And that's how you slowly work. Wow. Great advice. Mena Lopez from It's Ginger's Way in the studio. Any questions for her on the dog behaviour front? We've had questions about um, something to get for Christmas, harness versus collar and so much more. This is Pets and Vets on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With ProPlan. Joining us live in the studio for a dog behaviour special, we have got Mena Lopez. We can talk pooing, chewing, barking, pulling and more. Socialising, integration... Should we talk peeing, Mana? Would that be okay? All right. Yes. <laughs> um, we've got a toxrin, which is a Chihuahua cane terrier called Disney, who's been using the pee pad for the last few years, but is suddenly terrified of it. Um, any advice? They're trying to catch the moment she's about to go, but the clever pooch knows what's going on. They've tried uh, swapping the grass. They've tried puppy training spray, trying to, you know, train the container. What comes to mind after after seeing this message from Dwayne and, and Disney? Um, I would say, why not trying to stop having the dog to pee and poop inside of the house and just start restarting the potty training process to or either the balcony or the garden or on the walks. Uh, and real grass patches are always a better option than the, the pee pads. So maybe with potty training, it's all about when there's a problem, you always need to go back to the basics. So go back to that strict schedule, reward the dog when the dog uh, does it on the right spot, um, and it's always go back to that. So 
I'm going to send you Manor's details, Dwayne and Disney, so you can talk about going back to basics. But I would say check out It's Ginger's Way as well. Some great resources there on the Instagram. Simple question, but I don't know if it'll be a simple answer. This is from Jono saying, harness or collar? Uh, in doubt, harness. Okay. Um, because collar, if the dog pulls, if the dog doesn't know how to walk properly on the leash or just something, can create a lot of pressure on um, their throat and it can do a lot of damage, not just um, damage in terms of behavior because the dog starts associating that being excited to things actually makes pain on him and also damage as in uh, physiology damage. So in in any case, always harness. Okay, we've just got one for our dog who's having some throat and heart problems and he he loves it, but it was, it, it was a, you know, the most important thing was getting a good fit. Yes. You know, so feel secure, not too tight, but it's still going to be safe. Thanks. Great question, Jonna. Um, Dee Dee's already thinking about Christmas, saying, I'd like to get our terrier mix Ralph. I love it when you tell me your dog's names. Um, Ralph, something that appeals to the ratter in him. His favourite thing is to shake things, shred things and chew things. Any recommendations for interactive toys, things that might move around that he can catch and chase, ideally something durable? Anything come to mind? Uh, durable, to be honest, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> depends um, how aggressive Ralph exactly, is. Exactly, depends how much he likes to play. But um, what I normally do with Ginger is I do, because she's also a hunting dog, is I do things that are more into the uh, enrichment, things that I can do at home. So, uh, and even with old toys, I just put food inside and then she just goes back to the old toys because she does the same. She just destroys the toy in a couple of couple of hours so I just recycle the toys so there's lots of good interactive toys that you can you can buy on the pet shops or on Amazon so you just need to go that for there is a few toys that you can for that kind I would suggest more toys that you can put food inside Mm -hmm. so we call them puzzle feeders Uh, so it's just grows into that there's some food inside so they just have more fun with that so just look into puzzle feeders for dogs okay sounds good Didi and Ralph Merry early Christmas. Um, And Jen says, Hi guys, our lovely next door neighbours have recently got a puppy who's now had his vaccination since being allowed into the wide world. Our Woof, a mixed breed called Wolfie, has decided to welcome by barking like mad every time he sees him. I'll throw down treats and try and associate nice things with the pup. I've done a firm no, then reward and he's quiet. But to be honest, I've got no idea what to do for the best. We're planning to do a gradual parallel walking in shows the park and then hopefully a play. Um, but I'm not sure if that's the right thing to do. Can you help out, Jen, Mana? Uh, there's so many questions that I have to ask for that <laughs> to, to be able to help. Does uh, Wolfie bark when they're in the garden? Does Wolfie bark when they see the dog on the lead? So it could be so many things. So um, if, again... I, they... I can connect. Yeah, that would be good. Okay. <laughs> um, in the meantime, though, um, if anyone wants to reach out and avail of uh, your services, your expertise, and you said earlier, you know, all the way from getting a puppy to if you have rehomed a dog and looking to integrate them into your home and any existing pets, what's the best way of getting in touch? Uh, on Instagram, uh, it's Ginger's Ways. It's Ginger's Ways. If you want to send, send me the word dog, I will send you the Instagram <laughs> so you can find out more. But as I said, a great resource um, for great information. And yes, getting out and about. Will we see you at Woof Fest this weekend? Yes. You and Ginger. Uh, me and Ginger will be there. We're going to have, uh, we're going to offer 10% discount to everyone that comes and talks to us. We're going to be there to answer any questions you guys have. And we're going to do classes for leash uh, walking classes and our normal classes. So we're going to be there the whole weekend from 8 to 10 as well. Party on the beach <laughs> with Manor and Ginger. Um, Yvonne as well there if you want details just send me the word woof and I will send you details of woof fest that's going to be there um, at Dubai Island Beach two days 8am to 10pm and all are welcome
And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.